0: Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. If you remember, we're doing this series called Our Journey to Jesus, and we are going to finish that several-week series today as we look at the sacrifice part two from Matthew chapter 27. Our Journey to Jesus has been two or three months' worth of a series. Next week is December. Anybody excited for that? Who's excited for the Christmas season? I see one hand. Okay, there's more hands. We most, most of us love Christmas. The Christmas season, we'll have a sermon series that fits that season coming up next Sunday. But today we finish our series called Our Journey to Jesus with a lesson we title, The Sacrifice, Part 2. But what is your favorite story of all time? What is your favorite story of all time? Does anyone want to tell me what their favorite story of all time is? Because I'm going to give you my top 10 favorite stories of all time. Does anyone have a favorite story from your childhood or recently that you really enjoy and you read it a lot anyone no favorite stories out there christy favorite story no favorite stories okay well it's good thing i have a top 10 (laughs) because you're gonna get 10 of mine uh boy sometimes you just walk into those no one has a favorite story and you what is it the gift of the magi the gift of the magi okay that's not on my list here's my top 10 favorite (laughs) stories some of these are really sentimental some of these are a, a little silly but that's kind of par for the course. My top 10 favorite stories. Now, I'm going to sort of give you some from young to old, things that I've just enjoyed for the course of my life. And I think as some of you will remember this, this one, number 10, from your childhood. It is The Little Engine That Could. Did anyone read that growing up, The Little Engine That Could? Yeah, okay, the close family bit did. That was a great story. I remember The Little Engine That Could. I asked my mom to read that countless times. And I just like, I don't know, I like the narrative. I like I what happens in that story. I just remember the, the phrase in my mind. It stuck with me over and over and over. Does anybody know what it is? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. The little engine has to go up the hill, and uh, he doesn't have the strength. He's little. He's trying to pull all of these things, and he just kept saying this phrase, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and then he doesn't, and he crashes. No, that's not what happens. That's awful. Of course he gets up the hill because he thinks he can, and he keeps working at it. There's a good little message in there. That's number 10. Number nine, I also like these growing up a little bit further along, but you guys, I think I've mentioned this from the pulpit before. It is every single episode of MacGyver because if you, no, that's right. If you know the series MacGyver, they were all exactly the same with very few variations. Basically, MacGyver, there are bad guys. MacGyver gets himself into a sticky situation and he's got to figure a way out of that situation with a paperclip a piece of gum, and half a donut. And he does it somehow, amazingly, every time. And I just really love those stories. I just really thought that was real life back in the day. I wanted to be MacGyver. I had my parents get me a chemistry set one year. That didn't go well. Lost my eyebrows. Um, But every episode of MacGyver was one of my favorite stories. Here's number eight that I think a lot of you are also going to fellowship with. Now, at least the first one. But I consider these two a tie. Because they have a similarity. It is Home Alone and Mall Cop. Now the similarity is this, and Home Alone, of course, Kevin is stranded alone and he has to fight bad guys by himself. Has anyone seen Mall Cop? Yeah. Yeah. What does Mall Cop have to do? He has to fight off bad guys by himself in a big shopping mall. Yeah. And they're both holiday-themed movies. I really like those movies. We typically watch those every year. Anyone like Home Alone or Home Alone? Which one's better, Home Alone One or Home Alone Two? Let's settle that. Two. Two, Two's better. Lost in New York, Lost in okay. New York. My father-in-law said that Mall Cop 2 is actually better than Mall Cop 1, which I don't know yet. I I think so, too. Here's another one, number seven from my childhood, and there's a reason I really like this story. It is the fox and the hound. Does anyone know why I might like that story? Does anyone know that story? Christy, any idea why I might like that story? You're named after one of the animals. Do you remember which one it is? The fox's name is actually Todd in that story. I think it's 1D, but it's still Todd. And if I have a spirit animal, it would have to be a fox. Because, I mean, come on. I mean, a fox just makes sense, right? Todd the fox. So I've liked that story ever since I realized that I, my spirit animal is a fox. And that makes a lot of sense. So here's number six, kind of going along the, the MacGyver thing. This is a little bit older in my life. But every episode of Columbo is also my favorite story. Because every Columbo is the same, too. Now, it, when I first watched Columbo, they were annoying to me. Because I, it wasn't a It, And I wanted a Who It. I wanted to guess along the way who was the murderer. And at the beginning of the show, you find out who the murderer is. And then that annoyed me initially. But then I realized the show isn't about finding out who the murderer is. The show is about Columbo. And all of his schemes and wiles to trick the bad guy and figure out how to trap him in his own ways. And I really like Columbo now. But they're all the same. So every every episode of Columbo is also my favorite. Here's number five. Maybe you guys remember these from your childhood. It is the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Yeah. Didn't I love the Choose Your Own Adventure? Every time we went to the library, I wanted a Choose Your Own Adventure. I think I read Journey Under the Sea. If you don't know what those books are, basically you read along the way, and at some point in the book, you have to make a decision. Do I stay underwater where the monsters are? Do I surface and possibly lose oxygen? And then you have to make the decision. If you want to surface, turn to page 93, and then you figure out that, oh, you ran out of oxygen, and now you're dead. Um, That happened to me all the time. (laughs) Made the wrong decision. But they were still fun. Choose your own adventure, another favorite story of mine. Here's number four that I've referenced before. I've actually used this in a sermon once. It was called, You Can Always Be Worse. If you remember, the the theme of that book is that a guy has a really small house and a lot of kids. And his house is really cramped, and he goes to the rabbi of the town and says, Rabbi, I'm losing my mind. My house is too small. My family's too big. What can I do? And the rabbi gives him strange advice. He says, take all of the animals from your farm and put them in the house with you. And so one animal after another, the guy listens to the rabbi's advice and he keeps moving all the animals into his house. By the end of it, he's completely lost his mind. He goes back to the rabbi and says, rabbi, it's worse than it's ever been. And the rabbi says, go home and take all the animals out of your house. Clean your house up and live with your family. And the guy does it and goes home and realizes how big his house is. Isn't that an interesting story of perspective? All he needed was perspective. Here's another one that's about perspective. And this one's a tie as well, even though it's not really. I have one that's more favorite than the other one. But we're upon the Christmas seasons. anyone have a favorite Christmas movie? Christmas story. Ralphie. Anyone else? That is a good one. But that's not as sentimental as these two. It is Ebenezer Scrooge and the Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life. And both of those movies are about perspective, are they not? Ebenezer Scrooge is a miser and a wretch, and he doesn't realize it until the spirits visit him. George Bailey thinks his life is pitiful and wretched, and then he gets to see what his life would be like if he was never born, and that changes his perspective. I love both of those movies. We watch those almost every year. Number two is quite fitting because (laughs) number two is every story my sister tells. My sister, honestly, and I'm not flattering her, is probably the best storyteller I've ever been around. Because she, she does. She exagger, but it's, it's, it's necessary exaggeration because the story needs a little bit of help. And Christy is honestly such a good storyteller that we decided to write a book, how many years ago? Four or five, something years ago, called The Memoirs of Christy. And we compiled all her favorite stories into a book written by her friends and family members as Christy would write them, but maybe even taken at another level. And then we made it into a book. Honestly, if you need something funny to read, get that get a hold of that book. Uh, It's not published, but it is printed. It is printed. But you'd have to know Christy to appreciate it. I don't know if anyone could read that book and understand what's going on. But if you know my sister. But honestly, my sister, any story she tells is the best story I've ever heard. And that's a little lead-in for the Christmas tea. I believe you're probably going to at least tell a story, right? Okay, now you have to. So make it to the Christmas tea and listen to a sister. And my favorite story of all time would probably just have to be the story of my family. Um, How Janine and I met, how we got married, having the kids, having the twins, all kinds of things. I just love the story of of my life and my family. It's the best story I've ever heard. But it's not because that's our lead-in for today. There's a story that trumps all of these stories, and that is today's lesson. It is called The Sacrifice Part 2. If you have your Bibles, join me in Matthew 27. But we're not going to read the scripture just yet. We're going to get to that here in a little bit. See, last week we looked at part one of the story, part one of the sacrifice. There was a very special father and a very special son. Abraham was that special father, and he waited his entire life to have a baby boy. And finally, one day he hears news that he's going to have that baby boy. His name is going to be Isaac. When Abraham is 100 years old and his wife is 90, they give birth to Isaac. Long-awaited baby finally arrives. And Isaac is special. Isaac is not a typical baby boy. He is a special baby boy. Honestly, for that reason alone, because it took so long to receive him. But I'm going to give you three reasons why Isaac was special. Three reasons that he wasn't the ordinary child. Okay, number one is what we just said. God promised Isaac to Abraham. You will have a baby boy. His name will be Isaac, and you will get him if you're patient. So Abraham, even though it took a long time and he did some things he wasn't proud of in order To have other babies, Abraham finally received Isaac, and he received his baby boy. And this one is special because God's name was on the line. God's name and God's promises were on the line with Isaac. You will have Isaac, and Isaac was born. So Isaac was special because God's promise was upon it. Number two, Isaac was a miracle baby. Isaac was born after it was possible for Sarah to have babies. It was well past the time. And yet Sarah had Isaac, and it was a medical miracle. It would have been something we would all, even today, awe at. So Isaac was a miracle baby. Number three is God promised Abraham that through Isaac he would richly bless Abraham. Abraham would be the grandfather of many generations to come, and it's all through Isaac. Not Ishmael, the other kid, the son of manipulation. Isaac was going to be the son of promise, and was going to bring Abraham many, many, many blessings. So Isaac was one of a kind, actually, literally. He was actually one of a kind. But as we learned last week, something happened. Something happened to threaten all of those blessings. God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering unto the Lord, and that is a shocking twist to the story. still is. And as we mentioned last week, it's quite an illogical commandment because God needed Isaac to keep his word. God is the one who made a covenant to Abraham through Isaac. And if something tragic happened to Isaac, God's name and promises would have been on the line. And well beyond money, Isaac's did not grow on trees. If Isaac is lost, you can't just go get another Isaac, can you? If Isaac died, God's promises would be broken and Abraham's spiritual line would cease. It'd be over. But Abraham did not bat an eye at God's commandment. He simply arose early in the morning. He took up his son, placed him on the altar along with all the equipment needed to sacrifice his son, his miracle son unto the Lord. That also is a shocking part of the story. And that right there is where we ended our story last week. We did that on purpose. God asked Abraham for the greatest sacrifice he could ever ask, and Abraham said, Yes, God, I will. And he was ready to follow through with that. That's an amazing part of the story. Inspiring part of the story. And it's also a little bit romantic of one man's love for his God. His love for his God was greater than his love for his son. The fountain of blessings was greater to Abraham than the blessing itself. Isn't that a great reminder? We'd rather have the fountain of the blessings then the blessings abraham realized that that god was greater than isaac but we left that story incomplete on purpose because although there are countless lessons we can gain from one man's willingness to give a profound sacrifice to his god it didn't answer the question that we all wanted to answer that elephant in the room question what would happen to isaac what happened to isaac What? transpired there at the altar. Did God break his promise? Did God keep his promise? Was Isaac spared? So in order to finish that story, which I believe you all know the ending of that, we're actually going to bring in a brand new story today. Because the story actually picks up in the New Testament. Did you know that? And you're probably wondering, well, how is that possible? How could something linger for thousands of years? How can the story linger that long? Did you ever get one of those cliffhangers? You're watching a show and you want to know how it's going to end, and then they say... Our episode next week, dot, 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 and you're like, no, I want to know what's going to happen. Or, or sometimes it's a whole year. You've got to wait a whole season. They leave you with that cliffhanger. Well, I left you with a cliffhanger this past week, and I did that on purpose because the story's going to pick up in a really profound way in the New Testament. See, our story from last week is very similar to another story. In our story today, there's a very special father and a very special son. In fact, they're beyond special. They're unique. They're holy. There is none like this father. There is none like this son. But like Abraham, this particular father had only one begotten son. He didn't have five sons like I do. I have five sons. Where if you lose one child, you can find solace and comfort in the fact that you still have four more. But not this father. He had one begotten son whom he loved with every fiber of his being. The father we speak of today is so special that he's God. He's God the father. And the son we speak of today is so special that he's God's son. The sacrifice part two is centered around God, God's son, and their relationship together. In our last story, last week, we spoke about Isaac. And Isaac's worth came from the patience it took his parents to receive him. That's where Isaac's worth came from. As well as the covenant God made to Abraham that through Isaac you would receive all these blessings. So Isaac's worth was based on those two things. You will get him one day, and he will give you all the blessings that you desire. But take that away, Isaac is just a common baby. If you take those two things away, he's like every other baby boy. But in our story today, the son's worth is intrinsic. He has supreme value for who he is. Scripture teaches us that God's son is actually the creator of the universe. Did you know that? God's son created everything we know and love. In John chapter 1, John the disciple says this, in the beginning was the word, and he's speaking about a person. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's the creator of everything. Jesus Christ created this world. So the son we speak of today has value beyond anyone else in existence. Although Isaac was special, he was a created being. The son we speak of today is God's only begotten son, and he is the creator of everything. We're speaking of literally the most valuable person in existence, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Isaac was special And Isaac was the conduit to all of God's blessings and promises. So, if something tragic happened to Isaac, Abraham would have lost everything. But if something tragic happened to God's son, God would lose everything. In fact, in a question of who has more to lose, Abraham or God, if they lose their son, the answer, undeniably, without question, is the Holy God. He has much more to lose with Jesus than Abraham does with Isaac. And we said that even more than money, Isaacs do not grow on trees, but God could make another Isaac. Could he not? God has the capabilities to craft and create another Isaac. But Jesus, we are told, is holy. He's holy. There is none other. There is no imitation. There is no similar person. There is nobody like Jesus, and there never will be. If something tragic happens to Jesus, God would lose everything that mattered to him. Now, our two stories have many similarities, and the stories almost eerily parallel one another. And yet, they're different. And we're going to spend the rest of our time today speaking about the difference between these two stories. And doing so, we will also finish our story from last week about Abraham and Isaac. But now we want to look at how the stories end. We've talked about how they begin. We want to talk about the ending This is the last Sunday before the Sunday in December. And if you know anything about the Christmas message, the Christmas message is that Jesus came to this earth. I was talking with you in the car, and you said that Germany celebrates something called Advent, Advent, which literally means the coming, the first coming of our Lord Jesus, correct? And that's the Christmas message. We celebrate the first coming of Jesus. That is the beginning of the story, and we will look at that next week. But now we're going to rewind, or excuse me, we're going to fast forward, and we're going to look at the... Ending of that story. See, Jesus came as a sacrifice. That's why we're calling today's lesson The Sacrifice. And interestingly, that's where we left off last week's lesson with Abraham about to sacrifice his only son Isaac on the altar. Let's pick up the reading in Genesis 22 and listen to the ending of this story. And pay very close attention because this story is going to be the foundation for our story today. In verse 7 in Genesis 22, Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place with which God had told them, Abraham built the altar, and there he laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on top of the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called of that place, the Lord will provide as it is to this day. On the mount of the Lord it will be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the the gate of the enemies. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. I said last week, we love happy endings. Isn't that true? We love happy endings. And we truly have a happy ending with that story. God commands Abraham to be obedient and to sacrifice his only true son on the altar as a burnt offering. Even though Isaac, excuse me, was the son of promise that Abraham waited his entire life to receive. But without hesitation, Abraham obeyed his God and brought his son to the altar in order to sacrifice him unto the Lord just like our God so often does, he stepped in at the 11th hour and provided while Abraham had the knife raised in the air, ready to drop it on his son. All of a sudden, they heard a noise. And that noise was the bleeding of a ram caught in the thickets. And of course, that's not random, is it? That's our God's provision at just the right time. That's how our God often works, at just the right time, just when you need it, and not a moment before you receive your provision. And because Abraham obeyed, God provided a ram. And because God provided a ram, Isaac did not have to die. And that right there just might be the second greatest story of all time. And thankfully, it ended happily, right? And we love happy endings. So the lessons we can glean from that story alone are too numerous to count, but it gave us five that we're going to rattle off very quickly. Five lessons we can learn as we finish that story about Abraham and Isaac. Number one is God is trustworthy. People are not, are they? Some people can be trusted at certain times of their life, but typically speaking, people can let you down. God cannot let you down. That is exactly what trustworthy means. You can trust him at all times. Number two, because he's God, he is to be feared and obeyed. There is no bargaining with God. If God says to do something, we are to say, yes, sir, and to do it. And Abraham did just that because he is God. Number three, God will provide what we need in his timing and not ours. God will provide according to his own will and his own timing. And that's exactly what he did with Abraham and Isaac. Number four, Thankfully, God's promises cannot be broken. Now, did God break his promise with Abraham? He said, take your son, put him on the altar, and slay your son. Did God break his promise of bringing all the blessings through Isaac to Abraham? No, he did not. Abraham, it was hard for Abraham to see how that was going to happen, but we can see because we have the benefit of hindsight. Abraham was never going to lose Isaac. God's promises cannot be broken. Number five, a sacrifice given to God will always pay off in the end. Did you know that? Anything you give to God will actually be an investment. You won't lose a thing. You will actually gain much more back. By Abraham's obedience, he actually got richer and more blessed than he ever was before. So we finish story number one. Story number one ends the way we want it to end, with a happy ending. See, but there's a second story before us that we also need to finish. And although the story of Abraham and Isaac just might be the second greatest story of all time, our next story is by far the greatest story of all time. It would be number one on every top ten of greatest stories, or it should be. The greatest story of all time is a story we end on today because now our stories break off from one another. There were a lot of parallels. For a while, they were right right next to each other like a train track, and now they break off. They are no longer going to parallel one another because our story, our second story, is going to take a very bleak turn. See, Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, came to be the sacrifice for the world. Why? Quite simply because we needed a sacrifice. Because God cannot and will not look the other way regarding our sin. Now, we do all the time. We sweep it under the rug. We act like it never happened. I didn't actually do that. You misheard me. God, it was, you, you didn't understand the details. I had to sin. So we sweep that sin under the rug. God can't do that. God is holy. Sin has to be punished because God is holy. And every single one of our sins that we've ever committed has to be paid for. Did you know that? It has to be paid for. Either we're going to pay for them in the eternal lake of fire because that's the entire reason that place exists, for the payment of sin that is unpaid for or it will be paid for by a proper sacrifice. And thankful because our God is love, and because of the story of Abraham and Isaac perfectly sets up this story, a sacrifice was sent to this earth. And much like Abraham's sacrifice, our sacrifice was going to be God's only begotten son. But please remember that although Isaac was the son of promise and had immense value to both Abraham and to the world, the value of God's son is off the charts. They're not comparable. Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe. He's also holy like God the Father. The value of Jesus cannot be estimated. Did you know that? We cannot properly estimate the value of Jesus Christ. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond calculation. There is no value that we can attest, that we can assess to Jesus Christ. It's too high. It's too great. And guess who was going to be our sacrifice? This very Jesus. And much like Isaac was willing to go along with his father's plan of being the sacrifice, Jesus was also willing to go along with God's plan in spite of being the sacrifice. Only there's one massive difference to our stories that we're going to end on today. See, in story number one, Abraham bound up his true son, his only true son, on the altar, and he raised the knife in the air, ready to slaughter Isaac. That's what it says. But at the last moment, they heard a noise of a ram caught in the thickets, and God provided a ram that spared Isaac from death. It's a truly happy ending for Abraham and Isaac. But in our story today, things did not go the same way. Isaac could be spared death because God gained what he needed to gain without Isaac's death. God simply wanted to know, Can I trust Abraham to do everything I call him to do, no matter how hard it is? Will he give me faith and obedience in return? And because Abraham did not withhold anything from God, Isaac didn't have to die. The point was not Isaac's death. The point was Abraham's faith. But Jesus was not a test. God the Father is the God and the Father in this story. And God is already perfectly righteous. Unlike Abraham, God has nothing to learn. He knows everything. He's perfectly righteous, perfectly holy in every way possible already. Jesus was not going to be a test of God's faith. God is already perfectly righteous. Quite simply, Jesus was sent to the earth to die not just as an offering. He was sent to die. And now we're going to read our passage from Matthew 27. And before we do that, I want you to think about a few things as we read this because it's a really powerful lesson and a little bit graphic. But I want you to think about a few things as we read this. Number one, think about the story of Abraham and Isaac, okay? Think about how Isaac was spared at de- from death at the last possible moment because God provided a ram Think about that while we read this. Number two, think about what God the Father must have been going through to see his only true begotten son go through this ordeal. Watching his son being sacrificed before his very eyes and what it must have taken for God to allow that to happen. Think about that as well. Number three, think about Jesus. Think about going through all these horrible things willingly because you love and you trust your father. And because you love the people you're about to sacrifice your life for. You don't want them to end up in hell. You want them with you in heaven for all eternity. So, all of these things that transpire, you simply let them happen to you because although you can stop them because you're the Almighty Son of God, you came for this very reason. You came to be the sacrifice. The words are going to be on the screen. If you want to read your own Bible, you can. Let's now read Matthew 27, 11 to 54. It's a lengthy text, but it's a really necessary and powerful text. We're going to pick up the reading in verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him in a dream. Now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again asked them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it in his head, on his head and put a reed in his hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes back on him and led him away to crucify him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the tombs were also opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe, and they said, Truly, this was the Son of God. That right there is the greatest love story of all time. I want you to remember, I don't want you to be too overtaken by that, overtaken with grief, because that is not the end of the story, thankfully. Our story will pick up in a powerful way three days later after Jesus will rise again from the dead and eventually ascend back to heaven to take his rightful position at the right hand of the throne of God as both King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus will reign in that position for all eternity along with those whom he died for. But unlike Isaac, Jesus had to die. Because without a proper sacrifice, we all, every single one of us sitting here and standing here today, would have been condemned to hell for our sins. An offering alone was not enough. And just like Abraham laid laid Isaac on the altar and raised the knife in the air ready to slaughter his only true son, so did God the Father send Jesus to the earth and to the cross to be crucified. But this is the difference. Abraham's knife never dropped on Isaac because a ram was provided at the final moment. But in our story today, a ram was not provided at the last moment because Jesus is the Lamb of God. And I want you to recall what Abraham said to his son. It was quite interesting. Recall back to our first story. Isaac is asking his father a question, and he said this, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, listen to this, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Little did Abraham know exactly what, ram, what lamb he was referring to. Because Jesus is the lamb that was provided at the last moment. See, our stories, they're intertwined. But they're not true parallels because Isaac was not the lamb of God. He was not the sacrifice. And Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the lamb of God. Isaac was spared death. Jesus was not spared death. Abraham did not have to drop the knife on his son, but God did drop the knife on his son. And we do not need to read Matthew 27 to know that this was going to happen because it was actually prophesied hundreds of years before it took place. Did you know that? It was prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus came. In Isaiah 53, listen to what it says. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking about the coming sacrifice. Who has believed what he has heard from us? I'm going to read it from the English Standard Version. And to whom, the, whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. He had no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid the iniquity of us to fall on him. Yet he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom... The stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring. He would prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it, and he will be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sins of many, and interceded for the transgressors. I want us to be crystal clear today, okay? The Jewish leaders did not drop the knife on Jesus. The Roman guards... Did not do it. Pontius Pilate did not drop the knife on Jesus. Now they all are guilty of Jesus' blood. And they all, if they don't repent, will pay for that for the rest of eternity. But God the Father is the one who dropped the knife on Jesus. His only true son. If God did not want Jesus to die, the Jewish leaders, the Roman guards, and Pontius Pilate could not have done a thing To Jesus. And Isaiah 53, although it's very powerful all the way through, says this one very interesting thing in verse 10. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will and God's plan for Jesus to die. Why? 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 Why would such evil be allowed to fall on Jesus? How is God not evil like Pontius Pilate, the Jewish leaders, and the Romans guard if he allowed such evil to take place to Jesus who had no evil? Isn't there, aren't those interesting questions? And the one simple answer for that is quite simple. Love. Love. You guys know the famous verse, John 3.16. It makes a whole lot of sense when you know the whole story. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. The difference between the Jewish leaders, the Roman guards, Pontius Pilate, and God the Father is the difference between evil and love. It's a great, great difference. They desired evil for Jesus, but God desired love for his people. Jesus was not killed because he did anything wrong, was he? Jesus was killed because we did many things wrong. And both God the Father and Jesus the Son was willing for Jesus to die instead of us. Guys, that is the greatest love story of all time, and it's not even close. No one can love you like Jesus. No one can love you like God the Father. And that answers the question for why God is not evil like those on the earth who had a part in Jesus' death. And that also answers the question for why did Jesus have to die? Quite simply because we needed a sacrifice. And only Jesus could pay for the sins of the whole world. Did you know that? That's why it had to be Jesus. Elijah couldn't do it. The Apostle Paul couldn't do it. You and I couldn't do it. The only one that could pay for the sins of the whole world was the only begotten Son of God. Here we go. Thanks. Dramatic effect. And that's the greatest story ever told, guys. That right there is the greatest story ever told. And this story is non-fiction. What does that mean? It means it's real. It actually happened. And it actually happened for you and for me. So the only remaining question today before we close is what do God and Jesus deserve from us because of that amazing sacrifice? If I simply asked you that, what do they deserve? What does God and Jesus deserve? the Son, deserve from you because of that tremendous, amazing sacrifice. And I'm hoping what's popping into your mind is what popped into my mind as I prepared this lesson. Everything. Everything. And there's nothing less. There could be nothing less than everything. They deserve everything from us. Abraham had a choice, didn't he? He had a choice to say yes or no to God. To sacrifice Isaac on an altar or to say, no, God, I can't. That's asking too much. God had a choice to send Jesus to this earth and say, no, I don't want to. They're the ones that sin. They're the ones that deserve hell. I'm not going to sacrifice my only son for wicked sinners. And he could have said no. But Abraham said yes. God the Father said yes. And now you and I have a choice to give Jesus everything, to offer our lives as living sacrifices to God, or to say no and keep our lives for ourselves. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 12, verse 1. He said, I appeal to you. That means I plead with you, I urge you, I implore you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, the story's not over. There's a part three to this story. Part one is Abraham sacrificed Isaac, but Isaac didn't have to die. Part two is God sacrificed Jesus, and Jesus had to die. Part three is our turn to sacrifice our lives upon the earth, not to go to a physical cross, but to carry a spiritual cross in this life and follow Jesus every step of the way with whatever he does and whatever he says It's our turn to say yes, I will, or no. That's too much to ask. Abraham said yes. Isaac said yes. God the Father said yes. Jesus, the Lamb of God, said yes. Now it's our turn. Is not God the Father worthy of a living sacrifice? Is not God the Father worthy for what he gave with his only begotten Son? Is he not worthy of your everything? Is not Jesus, the Lamb of God, our payment for sins and the key to the gates of heaven, worthy of a living sacrifice? At age 26, even though it took a long time, I finally made my choice. And I said yes, to be a living sacrifice to God. What will you choose? Or what have you chosen? If you haven't chosen yet, you can choose today. You could choose today and say yes to Jesus. I will give you my entire life because of what you did on the cross. That makes perfect sense. You deserve it. I get to go to heaven. I get to have my sins forgiven. I get to have eternal life, spiritual health, and provisions for the rest of my life from God the Father. Then yes, Jesus, you get it all. Or to say no, I'm going to keep it. That's too much to ask stand before God one day and try to justify and rationalize why it was too much to ask from the God who gave up his son and the Jesus who gave up his life. And even if you have made that choice, you can make the choice today to rededicate your life to the Lord and say, from now on, I am going to go better, stronger, greater in that direction by God's grace, because Jesus did that for me. It is the sacrifice part three. And we have to put a little ellipses there, dot, 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 because I don't know your story. And I'm still writing my story by God's grace. But I ask you to think inwardly about what is deserving to God and to Jesus for the sacrifice part two. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I pray for the souls in this room. I know this lesson was weighty. I know it's probably a little hard to hear. I know there's a lot more song and dance we could have done to have a more pleasing lesson. But Father, this is what's necessary. We need to remember the sacrifice that was given on our behalf because we don't have another plan. We don't have any hope without Jesus. We were sinners. We needed a sacrifice, and you willingly sent your Son to this earth to die. Jesus, you willingly went to the cross and gave up your life as a sacrifice and died because you love us that much. And now the question remains is, will we love you that much? All you're asking for is our living sacrifices that we take the rest of our life and offer them to you and say, whatever you desire, however long you ask, is my delight to give it to you. And I pray it's a delight and a desire and a privilege for all of us to say yes to that sacrifice. Father, thank you for this lesson today. I pray that you'd work on the hearts and the souls in this room to make that choice or confirm that choice or continue going forward in that choice today. And we give you all credit and glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.